Welcome to Equality Education, a show about inclusive teaching, supportive parenting, and a kinder future. Well, hello everyone. How are you doing? Thanks for joining me again today for another episode of Equality Education. I have a really awesome and super interesting and super smart guest for you today. I've got Louis Asquith and they are the legal and policy manager at UK charity Mermaids. Have you heard of Mermaids? I'm sure you have. They are brilliant and they are a charity which support transgender and gender non-conforming children and young people. Now, Louis identifies as non-binary and today on the show, not only do they have some great advice for parents and teachers on how to support a trans or gender non-conforming child, but they also share what life was like for them growing up as a non-binary person, some of the difficulties they faced and a few of the small actions we can all take to make trans and non-binary people feel more included. Welcome, Louis. Hello, Ollie. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today on this sunny day. I've made you sit inside and talk to me on the internet. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's the the everyday uh, lifestyle now, isn't it, in COVID? So um, pretty used to it. Oh, bless you. Okay, before we start, Louis, uh, please introduce yourself and your pronouns. Yeah, so uh, my name is Louis Asquith and my pronouns are they and them. Amazing. You're the first they, them pronoun person on my podcast. How do you feel? Honoured. Good, I'm honoured. Excited. <laughs> I always I always love saying my pronouns. It, it, it always fills me with uh, a level of empowerment that doesn't come from anywhere else. So um, yeah, thank you for asking. No, I like And actually, you are one of the people that really inspire me to tell my own pronouns and ask for other people because I feel like whenever we're at an event together, you're, if you ask a question, you always start by saying your name and your pronouns. And it just kind of makes everyone else in the room aware to do that as well. So I love it. So yeah, thanks for inspiring me to to do that. Oh, that's good. No, it's good to hear because often when, you know, the event example that you just gave, um, there always is a worry that you you're going to ostracize people but actually when you just get into the habit of doing it it becomes very easy and it it gets people thinking and you see a domino effect of people uh you know joining you and sharing their pronouns around a room as soon as you give yourself so um I'm pleased you had that experience that's good to hear yeah and also it's kind of given me the power to encouraged just to ask people their pronouns as well like I feel like some people just feel a bit like worried or like they're going to offend someone but if I meet someone uh, and they tell me they're trans or or they're LGBTQ plus I'm just like oh hey my pronouns are he him what are yours and I just love being able to do that and it instantly just makes them feel super comfortable I I find generally yeah that's it if we can all uh, strive towards a future where we don't assume anyone's gender identity that would be such a wonderful thing and an easy way to do that is by simply asking someone's pronouns by not assuming how somebody identifies just how you know by how they're presenting or expressing themselves I think it's a a key and free tool uh, to really start <laughs> you know illustrating yourself to be that ally and and you know people listening to this podcast might be looking for a simple way to start being an ally and that's a really easy one that I'd encourage anybody to use a simple hi my name is oh, my name's Louis my pronouns are they and then what are yours 
Um, it's a really uh, easy, easy way to make everybody feel seen in a room. Amazing. All this useful advice, Louis, and we've not even started yet. I know, I mean, look at us go. Like <laughs> Um, actually, so another thing which I need to ask you, because this is what I'm asking everyone who comes to my podcast. Can you please share, if you're comfortable, with me and the listeners, a happy memory from your childhood? Yes, I'd love to. Um, I think ever since I've come out, I've been starting to think about my, my childhood more and more. And one memory that sticks in mind was a a day in primary school. I was around eight years old uh, and I used to play a lot of football. Football was my life I walked around in a football kit um you know and even went to bed in football a football kit if I could um <laughs> and one day at school there was only a a boys team at my primary school and I was assigned a female at birth and so I was dealt with as a a female and I wasn't therefore able to play football on a team at school and I, I played at break you know I played at break which was which was great and look forward to that every second of the day but um anyway this this one day um the football coach for the boys team came up to me and asked to speak to me so I toddled over and uh he asked me if I would like to be part of the the, the boys team I'm doing that in inverted commas <sighs> And it was such an exciting moment for me because it was a moment whereby that teacher broke down a boundary that made me feel so uh, different and ostracized. And he instantly broke it down that second and made me feel like part of a team uh, in a way that nobody ever had before. And I think what was you know, wonderful when I started playing in the boys' teams that gender didn't matter. You know, I was, uh, you know, just as good as the other players. Uh, we had a great time. We played so well together. Um, and it was a fantastic illustration of if a teacher takes the the power that they have to include a young person in an environment that they can see they really want to be part of, how wonderful that is i felt i felt like a superhuman and yeah. it it it's um, and thank you to you for asking the question because i'd forgotten about that day and uh, now i won't forget it that is so special and can i ask what what time was that what year was that so that would have been 1997 98 kind of time yeah when there were definitely big separations in regards to gender and sport boys with this PE yeah. and girls with and, that PE and there still is I suppose I mean yeah we still hear yeah I think, I think it is isn't it mm, yeah absolutely thank you for sharing that that was adorable um I bet you thrived as well did you thrive on the team oh I thrived Ollie I thrived <laughs> <laughs> absolutely loved it there was no there was no uh, looking back after that so what I would like to ask you now is um what is mermaids and how long have you been working with them? Yeah, so uh, I, I work for a charity called Mermaids. Mermaids is a UK-based charity and we support transgender and gender-variant young people, uh, including children up to the age of 20, um, so from 19 years old, inclusive and below, and their family members. Um, Mermaids itself has been going for 25 years this year, which not many people know. Um, and I've been working for Mermaids for almost two years now. Amazing. And we actually met, didn't we? Because 
I mean, I love mermaids and they're like my go-to charity. When someone's like, oh, what charity do you like? I'm like mermaids because they're just amazing. And you do so much that I, you know, I could only do like a fraction of because it's just not my experience. It's not my expertise. But I'm so grateful for you. And we met, was it last summer? Because uh, Susie, the CEO of Mermaids, asked me to march with you guys. Yeah, it was amazing. And it was such an honor. I was like, yes, of course. I got to ride your mermaid bus with some of your mermaid youth um, who were so sweet and so cool. And we also uh, marched with some members of Little Mix as well, didn't we? Yeah, that's right. And being a Little Mix fan, that was incredibly exciting. But that obviously not as exciting as working with you, Ali. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I love mermaids. And as you said, they support uh, young children or young people up to the age of um, 20 with um Gender issues or tra- trans issues—is that right? Is that the right? Yeah. So we don't we don't tend to use the term issues. Um, so Sorry, we yeah. no no. Um, although you know there are uh, you know within certainly the policy work. So I deal with policy work. The word issue can be used in sort of a policy context, but certainly more generically, we we support young people who are on the gender diversity spectrum, whatever that looks like for them. Um, so, you know, some young people that we support are gender exploring, uh, some young people, yeah. are oh, I love cl- that. That's yeah, cool. some young people are very clear that they are transgender and want to use that word. Some young people are very clear that they're gender queer and want to use that word. There's no, you know, one size fits all, uh, um, you know, language that we can use and every single child is their own person and they have their own dialogue but we're there for every single one of them and whatever that looks like and where wherever that leads because of course we we support some young people who may be questioning or exploring their gender that ultimately um identify as the the gender that they were assigned at birth so mm-hmm. it, it's uh, very much a, a safe place for people to work themselves out without judgment, without expectation. We provide uh, support to family members that may be supporting that young person during that yeah. journey, which also is very important. And many different people react to a young person exploring their gender in, in different ways. Some parents get it straight away and, um, you know, just want to call up and show their enthusiasm for for you know their their young person's uh identity or we have some parents who don't who don't know how to deal with it or don't understand what it means some some parents have never heard of the term transgender before which obviously is fine as well and we provide a as i say a safe non-judgmental space for every single person that that calls up our helpline usually is the first contact mm-hmm. or sends us an email perhaps or reaches out to us on social media perhaps whatever medium they want to use were there uh, to to allow that person a, a space to ask the questions they want to ask and hopefully provide them with guidance and support that that leads them to a happy ending that's the goal amazing and I think, yeah, definitely the thing I think of when I think of 
mermaids in your work is the word that you said, which is safe, a, a safe place. And I've even been to a mermaid's because you do like these weekend kind of retreats, don't you, for some of the children and parents as well. And it's just like a safe weekend, like a little haven for them to come and just be their absolute authentic selves. And whether it's like the first time they've started kind of exploring or, or whether it's just, you know, they're, they're quite comfortable in their gender identity. It was just such a welcoming and amazing place. And, and it's incredible that you're able to do these. And I just wish the world was like that for them all the time, but not yet. It will be. Um, That's it. We, eventually. We work for the day that it is like that, just in, in everyday yeah. life, uh, in society more broadly. Those residentials, obviously, they're not happening at the moment because of lockdown. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. They're essentially weekend, um, long events, if you like, that, that happen. Uh, and it's kind of like a mini conference for parents, as well as mm. providing a an opportunity for our young people to socialize with other kids that may be having the same questions or similar questions. And it's absolutely uh, life-changing actually attending one of those residentials, I think, because the question around whether young people can be gender diverse is asked, you know, um, often language that was had around LGB lives not so long ago is is now being used against trans youth. Um, mm -hmm. And actually seeing young people who are gender exploring or transgender or gender diverse in some way makes it all very simple. We're dealing with young people that truly know who they are or truly know that they are in need of exploring who they are and all we need to do is as adults provide them with a safe space non-judgmental space to do that you know seeking and learning about themselves and when you spend time with these young people and when you properly listen to these young people all those complications flutter away it's just you and that young person talking and, and really um, seeing the human that's within every child. Because I think we, sh we should do that more as a society. Remember that at the, you know, ultimately when you're dealing with, dealing with any child, they are uh, a human being with a mind and identity of their own. And providing a society in space that allows them to be whoever they are is incredibly important. So those residentials are all about that really providing space for the important conversations questions and just freedom to be a kid <laughs> uh you know play with whatever toys you want to yeah. play with or whoever you want to play with and you know whatever name is making you comfortable whatever pronouns are making you comfortable that's what it's all about and it's always an honor to to be there and uh, as i say incredibly sobering to see and it allows us I mean certainly people who work for mermaids at our desks every day making sure we're connecting with the young people we speak for and speak on behalf of is is invaluable and integral to us doing our job properly because if we ever lose sight of who we're speaking for we're not doing our job properly and those residentials are one way that we ensure 
we are connecting and listening constantly to those we represent. So so what led you to start working for Mermaids? Yeah, so uh, I've got a legal background, so I'm a lawyer, and I practiced in the northeast uh that's where i i qualified in the beautiful northeast of england um <laughs> and uh i i worked for a firm that asked me to set up an lgbt family law department which of which i you know obviously jumped at the chance and through that work i was connected with mermaids and very quickly worked out ollie that trans law if you like and specifically law I'll say it like this law that impacts trans people law that impacts trans youth was my passion and my drive and very quickly realized that I wanted my work to focus in on that and and using my skill set and my qualification to try and create a better future for gender diverse young people going forward I dealt with a, a few cases within the law firm um, that that centered on a a gender diverse young person or a gender exploring young person um and again it just reasserted and confirmed that this is what my my work life needed to be around and that hasn't changed um an opportunity came up in mermaids they were looking for a, a legal case worker and it was a decision I made to move over to the third sector and, as I say, inject my skill set into the third sector and this specific cause. And I've been working for Mermaids ever since. So now I'm head of legal and policy at Mermaids. We don't provide legal advice. Um, I provide legal guidance where appropriate uh, and signpost uh, service users to to those that can offer legal advice where necessary. Um, and I also, as I say, work on policy as well. So work with various organisations around the country to develop policy within, uh, you know, within the public sphere to, again, try and create a future that is fully inclusive of gender diverse young people. So, yeah, that's, that's my, in a nutshell, kind of background um and I'm, I'm loving it and I feel very privileged every day to be working for this charity I feel as though um there's nowhere else that I should be right now and I try and give it my all every day amazing they're so lucky to have you literally I just think you're incredible you give me goosebumps you're like so smart and so like kind so oh um Luke can I ask you how you identify yeah, so I'm a non-binary person. Don't mind the term genderqueer either, but generally, um, I think it's probably driven by by my policy work. Actually, I use non-binary mainly because it's a term that's being understood more and more, and I I feel comfortable with that. I think it's an umbrella mm-hmm. umbrella phrase that can include various different experiences. So, I'll offer you what non-binary means to me. Um, because, as I say, being non-binary doesn't equal one type of experience. So, yeah, depending on who you're speaking to, 
if somebody says, oh, I'm non-binary, it may not be appropriate to say, oh, what does that exactly mean to you, though? You know, but if you're having, if yeah. you've got the rapport with somebody to explore that a little more and, and you feel as though they're uh, somebody that, that would be willing to have that conversation, um, then, you know, I, I think that's that's fine to, to ask. Um, and I'm happy to offer that now. So my experience of being non-binary is that some days I'm a guy, some days I'm a woman, um, less so the latter at the moment, but there are still sporadic days where I feel like that. And some days I'm a gender, I don't feel like either gender. Um, some days I feel dysphoria around my body. Some days I don't. Some days I just insouciate about it. I don't, I don't really think about it. Um, so I'm, I'm sort of a, a type of non-binary, if you like, that uh, is is very much uh, fluid. I have a very fluid experience, mm. yeah. And it's, you don't really know what you're going to get every day. <laughs> That's, That's exciting. <laughs> Actually, now, now, now I've, uh, you know, um, uh, I've, I'm coming to properly understanding myself. I, I, I love it. I think it's a mm. a really exciting life and experience to have and I'm very proud of it. Uh, when I first yeah. came to realise and understand my identity, I felt very exhausted by the prospect. You know, waking up every day and not knowing what you're going to get can feel exhausting in the first instance because we live in a society whereby that isn't pro- readily understood. But actually, when you embrace it and actually understand the simplicity of what it is in a way, okay, well, you're going to wake up and you're going to feel how you feel and you can act how you need to act because we do live in a society that uh, has the legislation in place uh, to be as inclusive as we would hope and can hope and will always hope. Um so yeah, I I very much embrace it now, but that has been a process, Ollie. I'm not I'm not going to uh, lie to you. It's not not necessarily easy to come, get to that point of embracing that kind mm-hmm. of experience because it's not what you're what you're brought up to typically expect. Exactly. And on that note, what was growing up like for you? Did you uh, and when did you come to identify as as non-binary? Was it something you noticed when you were really young? Like, um, what a lot of people have said who have spoke to is that uh, as children we we knew we were different, but we didn't know exactly what it was. Or was this something that came maybe a little bit later to you? So, uh, acknowledging and and understanding that I was a non-binary person uh, wasn't a simple process for me. So. And actually, I only really understand my childhood now I've accepted that about mm-hmm. myself and understood that about myself. So I'm kind of going to go uh, work from now backwards, if that's okay, because that makes more, yeah. more sense to me. Get so, um, and I'll start, you know, when I came out, which was uh, nearly two, two years ago now. So it was kind of around about the time that I started at Mermaids. Um, but... Before that, I got incredibly depressed, uh, to put it bluntly, um, when I started 
well, after a bit of time of working on these trans youth legal files that I talked about earlier, it triggered something in me. And I didn't quite understand why or what it was or why I'd, I'd been triggered. Um, but I got very poorly uh, and, as I say, was essentially bedridden for a, for a period of mm. my career. Yeah, mm, was incredibly, uh, incredibly low. Um, but shortly before that, I had changed my name because my hand wouldn't physically type my name. I couldn't, I, I can't, it's very difficult to describe. When I was so emailing, obviously, in my everyday work, obviously you sign off often with your name. Um, and it was getting to a point where I just, I couldn't write it. I didn't want to write it. And I didn't really understand why that was. I just knew that I couldn't. And it came to the realisation that I needed to change it to something that simply allowed me to be um, more androgynous, I, I suppose. The way I remember describing it was that I didn't want people to assume who I was. I mm -hmm. didn't like that experience. I didn't like that feeling of people um, of people assigning expectations and stereotypes to me that I knew I wasn't, you know, I didn't fall within. And I mean, a lot of people, whether they're, you know, non-binary, transgender or cisgender don't like that experience, do they? But it was, it was to a point, it, it got to a point of me not being able to physically write my name. So I changed my name, not really understanding why. And then obviously went into this period of, of depression after working on these trans youth focused files and uh it slowly dawned on me that obviously I had been triggered by the experiences I was reading around um and I started to let myself explore what that meant for me um and I had to leave practice for a short while because I was I was ill um and needed to work out where that was coming from so I went through quite an intense uh, period of, of counselling and therapy and slowly realised that uh, there was language that actually sat more comfortably in me than and language that I hadn't been offered before in my life because I came from a, a time that you know the 90s was my childhood era great for pop music not so great for trans inclusion yeah. um so, you know, I I was brought up in a time where non-binary wasn't on, you know, a teacher's radar. Transgender wasn't on a teacher's, my, my teacher's radar. Uh, certainly wasn't spoken about within my household. And that's not because my household were or are transphobic or, you know, or they, they're an inquisitive family. They want to know things. They are liberal, you know, in the uh, classic sense of the term, they're a liberal family. Um but I simply wasn't brought up with that dialogue to hand. So I had been taught there was two options. You're either a boy or a girl. And that was that. Now, using all that as context, I look back on my childhood and see quite clearly that I never felt like a girl. I remember asking my mum why I wasn't a boy. I remember uh, at every opportunity... I had, I would sort of role play as a boy and I had, mm -hmm. I used the name Noah 
for some reason. I don't know where. I think it wow, was. Wow, that's a cool name. I know, right? <laughs> I know. Um, that's trendy. Um, so no, I, um, I, I remember, you know, uh, little things like I used to go to the toilet standing up and things mm-hmm. like that, that looking back, it makes so much sense. I was pushing against this expectation that was being asked of me. I remember, for example, one day I woke up and this is around the time Mermaids was established. Uh, it was around 25 years ago. Uh, I remember waking up and just knowing that I couldn't wear the clothes that were in my drawers. Mm-hmm. Clothes that you would typically gender as as female garments. And I remember tiptoeing to my brother's drawers a, a brother who is three years younger than me and I was already quite young so the clothes were far too small for me but still I was <laughs> intent on getting what I wanted um opened the drawers and wore his trousers which I think didn't go you know much past my my knee and um <laughs> but I felt like a million dollars and I remember walking downstairs trying to act normal and I remember my mum didn't say anything and often looking back on that as an adult I'm always really grateful for her for doing that and not questioning what I was doing or asking why I'd done I'd done something I'm very lucky to have, have to have parents that have always allowed me to to be me and I always uh, feel sorry for them actually that they weren't given the language earlier that would have allowed them to bring me up in the way that I think they would have done had they had the mm-hmm. the tools to do so um so yeah i had a very happy childhood but certainly one that that was gender explorative i think i would say now looking back and i was a non-binary child and i yeah. i know that i came to realize that you know later on in my in my 20s um which I'm, I'm comfortable with now i've made peace with that and i'm looking forward to my future as a non-binary person, but certainly my focus now, um, well, one focus obviously amongst my work is, and mermaids more generally, our focus is to create a future whereby the the child that I once was and the thousands of other children that will be going through that kind of, of journey, the parents of those children make ensuring they do have the language um, those young people ensuring they also have the language to explore, as we've said, explore their lives and their identities in a safe space. Surely that is just going to produce such a a wonderful a wonderful um, and diverse future. One that we know exists, Ollie. You know, this is what I, I always get quite surprised as to how, how you have to keep saying that, but I think we can forget because we are told that, that you know, um, uh, social structure is, is a simple thing. It's not. We've got so many different wonderful varieties within, uh, you know, people and we should be embracing those and children are the best teacher for that kind of thing. And we're starting to see dialogue and language that young people are, are using, uh, that young people are using, which should be informing us as adults. And we need to be listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's wonderful working for a charity that, that 
works for young people because you get to know all the cool language first. Yeah. So <laughs> that's what I find as well. I feel like kids aren't given enough credit for how smart they are, um, for how for how accepting they are, for how righteous they are. And actually, when I go into sports and when I talk to children, um, they're it's not the LGBT plus aspect that confuses them. It's the the prejudice aspect that confuses them. They don't understand inequality. They don't understand uh, why people are horrible and, and, and why some LGBT plus people are being bullied or in some cases imprisoned or, or worse in other countries. They're like, what? Why? Mm. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense, but... You know, this is why you need to grow up and and, and look after um, your fellow people and, and make things fair. Because actually, I feel like that's what kids hate the most. They hate injustice, whether it's on them or whether it's on someone else. Um, and that's kind of what gives me a lot of hope. Yeah, I agree. Um, but just um, talking about your, your childhood again, was there ever a time when, because for me, when I was a child, there were so many times when I just felt ashamed of things that I had done if I'd done something which was perhaps stereotypically a girl's activity or if I wanted to play with the girls or, or, or wear a dress or, or play with the doll I just felt humiliation and shame and is that something that you experienced absolutely yeah I have um many a memory that that is a still very difficult to look back on actually which centered on me being humiliated for for you know not being a typical girl um being laughed at by uh you know peers in my class because I was gendered as a boy um being ostracized by teachers I remember one you know specific example being ostracized by the school actually because I'd um written a letter to my um friend as a boy and because the boy wasn't a member of the school they thought that you know looking back someone had um uh written you know someone outside the school had written this this um girl a a letter but it was it was just me exploring life as a boy I suppose and I got uh, scolded for that very much so and huge huge um humiliation was attached to that moment um yeah it's i think unfortunately being an lgb and rt young person is still not an easy thing i mean you know i talk about my uh, childhood but we still see young people today being humiliated being bullied simply for being who they are and we need to rise up as as adults and see this for what it is and not stand for it the problem we have is that a lot of the the prejudice and discrimination that we see is uh, led by adults mm-hmm. um you know working in the legal department, a lot of the inquiries I get through is are often centred on adults, um, not not 
ultimately not believing that young people can be gender diverse. And how do we get past that point? How do we start seeing these young people for who they are? It's simply listening. And it goes back to what we were saying earlier, listening to these young people. If someone had just listened to me as a child and actually sat me down and asked what, why I'd done that or what, what I meant. I was a young person who really needed support at that point in my life, who really needed to be sat down and told that I was okay and everything was going to be fine. And I wasn't. And that meant I carried something with me until my, you know, late 20s. Um, And now I've missed out on an adolescence that I could have had. And that that did take a little bit of time to, you know, overcome emotionally for me. And something that I'm still working through, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. Because adolescence is something that every young person should be able to enjoy as themselves. And if we are creating and if we still have a society whereby we have a demographic of children that aren't, we are not doing something right. Every single school, every single public place that creates an environment for young people needs to be uh, self-auditing to see if they're creating a space that allows every young person to be themselves. You know, not only LGBT young people, every type of young person, you know, from any you know, as we often say, minority population, are we creating environments that allow every single young person to be themselves? Are you creating an environment that will allow every young person to be themselves? Because if the answer's no, you need to do something about it. We all need to do something about Mm. it and we can all do better. Um, So yeah, sorry, I just went off on one there, didn't I? But but yes, I do, I do, uh, yeah, I do have memories that, uh very much centered on on me feeling humiliated um but i think it's about you know people like you and i uh, taking our experience and and trying to create a better future for for young people which is what you do with your writing and obviously what you do with this podcast which is so exciting um and thank you again for doing this ollie it's it's great oh, thank you and actually that, you know, for me, it is about these stories. It's about your story and my story and countless other stories and just learning from them. And, and I think the most important thing is that we need to realise that what happens to us in childhood will affect us for the rest of our lives. And people, I don't know if people realise that, but it's like things can be really damaging and can stay with you for a long time. And that's why... I think it's so important and so vital that we give parents and teachers the support and particularly why I asked you on the show today. Um, and I feel like we've weaved so much advice into this show already um, from what you've been saying. But what I really, really want from you is advice for, I think, parents or, or carers um, if their child comes out as trans. And to start with, what would be your advice for immediately, say say a child was to come out as trans to, to their parent or carer, what is like the immediate thing that that parent or carer should do? 
Um, I would say the first thing to do if they're a huggy person, give them a cuddle. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and thank them for for dis, you know for telling for telling you it's a mm-hmm. big deal. And this is probably someone that's been thinking about this for a long time and will have taken a huge amount of energy uh, and emotional strength to to say. So I think acknowledge that first, and as I say, acknowledge that that human experience somehow in whatever way your relationship um you know however that would manifest within your relationship um and then I think it's about taking their lead from there Ollie I think it's about saying I I want to be here for you I love you I want to support you what do you need from me mm-hmm. yeah. and then obviously the the big the l word listen yeah listen to them don't expect anything. Don't expect that they know all the answers. Don't expect that they know exactly who they are. Yeah. This may be a, a process for them. And I think it's about not looking for the end result right away and just looking at that young person there and then and seeing what they need now. Um, there's lots of support around. So obviously I'm going to say mermaids. Of course, um, I always say mermaids. <laughs> yeah mermaids we we have a, a helpline um and i don't know whether you can put the details under yeah, your podcast I'll, um, Ollie. I'll put the number at the end of the episode perfect okay um so yeah we have a helpline we have a web chat if you'd rather type um uh, we we have you know events ordinarily obviously we're in lockdown at the moment but they will no doubt reconvene as and when is safe to do so uh, support groups within sort of many areas around the country, uh, and we have online forums as well. So you mm-hmm. can essentially, you know, create friendships with other parents that are going through the same thing. Provide support to one another, and having that peer support, we think, is really, really important. And what is the um, website as, as well for people? Yeah, so it's www.mermaiduk.org.uk. Great. Have a look on there. We've got quite a few different videos of advice on there as well. So one being, you know, what do I do when my uh, if my child comes out to me as trans? Oh, brilliant. Um, I, and for young people as well, uh, there's some advice around sort of coming out to your friends, etc. So check out our website. Um, and, and as I say, if, if the answer isn't on there, then please do get in touch. And we're always really keen to know what questions people have. If we haven't a- answered a question, then we need to know because other people will be asking it. Never think that your question is silly or, or, or unnecessary because if you're asking it as somebody that's going through a journey, then it's important. So please know that and please know that you're, you're not alone. There are so many gender diverse young people out there and so many parents that are supporting them and so many parents that are questioning how to and uh you you will be embraced and welcomed and hopefully empowered um so yes i I hope i hope to hear from anyone you know that needs any support in the in the near future i suppose as well if i can if i can say ollie um it extends outside of the home. So if there are teachers listening that may have a gender diverse person in their class or people in their class or in their school and you're wondering how to navigate that, then get in touch as well. Uh, so, you know, I'm I'm 
the person that you probably speak to from a policy front and I'm more than happy to engage with schools around their in-house policy and and just exploring again what's right for your particular school because every school has its own culture and and way of thinking Um, so yeah just know that you're not alone that's the the key know that you're not alone make sure that we're taking that you're taking the young person's lead make sure that they're feeling listened to and a really important headline i think to finish this segment is just to say um the confidentiality aspects around someone's gender identity is an important one or privacy let's say um, you know, making sure that you don't disclose someone's gender identity unless they're happy for you to. You may be the one person they've trusted to come out to. Mm-hmm. So please be careful in not, um, you know, not breaking that trust by telling other people until that young person's ready. And that's a really simple question to the young person. You know, does anyone else know? Do you want other people to know? And if so, how do you want us to do that? Incredible. Louis, like, I feel like you just know so much stuff. (laughs) And I feel like I'm going to have to get you on again because there's so much more I want to explore in regards to, like, um, you know, the law, which obviously you're going to be amazing at, at, in terms of, like, what are trans people's rights and trans children's rights? I'd love to do that, Um, yeah. Because I know things like that are are changing changing as well. Um, So that would be amazing. We'll have to schedule in another another data in the diary yeah that sounds that sounds great but what would you say i mean we've covered so much today and there's so much advice in there but what would you say is one piece of advice that everyone could do in order to help trans children and people yeah okay well i suppose we can give each uh, everybody listening an action so i would uh, invite anyone listening to this podcast to exercise giving your pronouns, offering your pronouns, be it a meeting or maybe your partner or, you know, your mate, whoever, give it a go and see how it feels. And maybe that will allow you to empathise with the, the gender diverse uh, population as to how that might feel. And hopefully also allow you to feel a bit more empowered about your own gender identity um so yeah give that a go and the next step after that would be giving your pronouns and then asking the person you're talking to for theirs so that's quite a neat little exercise and start off with people that you're comfortable with and that you trust um so that'd be my first action point and just general advice i know i sound like a broken record but i I think it's it's always worth repeating making sure you're listening to stories, making sure you're actually listening to the people that, uh, you know, society and the the way we approach gender diversity uh, is impacting because the the individuals at the centre of this are trying to talk. We're trying to be heard. And you're somebody that has the power to allow those voices to be platformed. So please use it. Louis, you're incredible. And I loved how you just brought us back round full circle with the whole pronoun thing. That's what where we started. So brilliant. That was so much useful information and advice in there. And I'm literally thrilled to have you on here. I know so many people want to find what you have to say. Um, super useful. But yes, I definitely want to have you back on. Um, at some point in the future um, but I'm sure I will well hopefully I'll be able to see you in real life at some point I know I can't I can't wait <laughs> well, yeah 
<laughs> before then if they ever lift lockdown. I'm sure they will. But thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And um, look out for mermaids and Louis, everyone. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ollie. No worries. Take care. And that is it for today's episode. I hope you found that as interesting and helpful as I did. And actually just listening back to that episode today, I'm so grateful to Louis for sharing so much of their early personal journey. I actually found a lot of what they said quite moving. And um, I wonder if you did too. So yeah, as I said, if you want more support on this topic, you can go to mermaidsuk.org.uk. Or you can call the Mermaids Helpline on 0808-801-0400. And that helpline is open Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm. Okay, everyone, thank you so much for being here. Please remember to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts because I love you and that really helps. And I will see you next time. Take care.